Being a lead and growing your team can seem daunting if you are not well informed on how to approach it in a structured way. So I reached out to Asta Gaur at Google to understand more about how she nurtures her team with core values and great frameworks. Asta has designed solutions for consumer and enterprise both at boutique design studios and big corporations. Her passion is to lead with mindfulness, intuition, creativity and compassion. She puts that passion into practice as a UX lead at Google Ads Los Angeles, California. This is the Hayavati podcast and I am your host Madhuri. Speaking and asking questions to many designers and product managers from Asia and around the world to grow and nurture design and product careers. Let's get started here. Would you like to give me an understanding of where did you start into design management and how was your journey into it and how has it been so far? Yes, absolutely. So I started doing design management completely by accident. Like a long time ago I was working at this design firm called Distinct and it was a very small design firm and we only designed for um non-profits like they were our only clients and it was actually print and branding and um graphic design because i had just graduated from graphic design school and we were not building the websites we were just doing their you know just print design and i realized that none of it really mattered if the websites didn't work because people went to websites to donate money right so if they couldn't find how to donate money or if it wasn't laid out the right way it didn't matter So I told my boss and it was a team of like four people back then and I said hey we should start redesigning their websites and he was like do you know how to do that and I was like I don't know but I think we can figure it out so so we started doing that and it started working and UX wasn't really a field back then but then I have my background in industrial design and graphic design and it felt like just combining those gave me what I needed to build websites and I even like coded the first website I built. I just like taught myself because I had some C++ experience from school and I taught myself a PHP and just like built a website. So from then on that really took off. We saw really good returns for that client. And so my boss asked me to start like really like a UX design division within the company. And how I ended up managing was just because he didn't know anything about that and I knew a little bit more than him. and we started building websites it started working for clients we realized we needed to like hire a developer hire more designers just hire more people and i ended up managing them just because i was the one who was starting all of that so i really came into it on accident just because you have we had to grow this this field and then after that i worked at yahoo at a little bit as an ic and at google as an ic i was hired I was the first designer in LA and I was not hired as a manager and a very similar thing happened at Google but obviously at a very different scale where the team that I was hired for grew and we just needed more designers and we hired them and my manager was managing them and I realized very quickly and he realized it too that because he was up in the bay area and I was down in LA that people didn't have enough support with him being in the bay area and I became their manager so that's how I got into design management um on accident but I really like it so I continued to follow that path awesome do you think design management is for everybody i don't think management is for everybody design or not right so really design management is not that much different from managing anyone except the fact that yes you do kind of act a little bit as a creative director however there are degrees to how much you act as a creative director or not right so let me go back into is management for everyone i don't think it's for everyone i think you need to just instinctively and proactively care about people and care about people growing if you don't have that it's very very hard to be a good manager and it's it's also soft right it sounds like oh, of course if i care about people everyone cares about people but it's not about just that weak sense of caring about other human beings now you have to care deeply about having other people grow and if you are that person you likely have seen signs of that 
throughout your life? Are you the person who has helped out classmates when they're struggling with something? Are you the person who's cared about building someone else up? Are you the person who's just invested in like making other people get to a higher point than where they are in different fields of life, right? Um, if you are, you are very well suited to be a manager. And I think anyone who doesn't do that and gets into design management or any kind of management, uh, it's ultimately not going to work for the people who they manage. And it's not going to work for them because if they don't really care about making people grow, they're not going to invest time in it. Or when they have to invest time in it, they're just going to not enjoy that process. So I think it's not for everyone, but it is for everyone who does care about just having people grow. Well, that's like a sharp answer, but I really like the answer because mm -hmm. um, being politically right makes no sense when you don't really uh, invest in the other person's growth. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Once you become a design manager, especially because we're designers, how much of tool-based work do you actually get into? Or do you hold yourself or do you just give it away? How does it happen? Uh, that's a great question. So what I try to do, it's a balance, right? You have to not hold the exciting and visionary projects. Because I've seen some people fall into that trap where they will give out the tactical production design you know, designing a lot of mocks and doing like red lines, green lines, whatever, but then hold on to the exciting strategic visionary projects. That's not great because you need your people to grow also. You need them to see that too. At the same time, you don't only want to be doing management. You also want to be doing some practice of your craft so that one, you don't get rusty, but two, you are a part of the team that's building the product, right? So it's a very fine line. By the way, this answer is different for everyone. I have someone on my team who's a manager herself and she is someone who's just so deeply into product because she cares about that a lot. So she's not managing as many people as I do, right? Because that's where she likes to spend a bulk of her time. For me, the balance has been, because I manage a big team at this point, so I don't have that much time to do a lot of IC work. What I like to do is really think about stuff that's maybe three to four years ahead. And then I involve people from the team in there. Like I'll pick one or two people based on who wants to work on it and who has the right skills. And then in setting the initial vision, I will be a part of that team. So it's not that I'm just going to do it myself and it's not, hey, you go do it. I'll do some parts, they do some parts. And then after it's over the hump, after people have agreed, let's just say our VPs or whoever has agreed to doing the project, that's when I'm likely going to transfer it to someone else uh, because it does take up my time. And then with the big team to manage, it's not practical for me to go into the nitty gritty. It's also like a principle that I like to follow as a manager is that something that might be busy work for me might be a stretch opportunity for someone else on my team. So instead of holding on to it and then just doing it, it's actually better for someone else's career if I let them have it, because it might be something that they have to stretch into and they it might help develop them in their career. So it's that point of involve people in, do this work together, but then eventually keep shifting the work so they take on most of it, but you're there as a support if they need you. So it's that, I don't have like a number of like how much percentage or whatever, it depends on like what's happening out there. But that's my approach so far, that I like to do a little bit of it, but then also make sure that I'm not doing all the fun stuff myself. So when you say that you want to involve people at a certain level, right, that involves delegation. As you said, somebody who would like to stretch themselves or somebody who, who's good at certain skills, like we focus on strengths. And right. how does delegation exactly happen? Like, what are your techniques or I think technique is a very cliche word, but more like, I just want to understand how do you actually delegate these stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So my principle, and this is, I mean, it's not my principle, a principle that I have adopted is that a lead's job is to make themselves obsolete, right? And this is really scary because then it's like, what well, shit, then what, what am I going to do? But I have seen it work really, really well for me. So what I mean by that is that you have to get to a point where you have identified 
leaders on your team and developed a bench for yourself. That if I had to go somewhere tomorrow, who's going to do my job? I, as a leader, am not doing a great job if I don't have a clear answer to that. I should always be thinking, who can I train to do what I am doing so that I can make myself obsolete? So that's really my whole principle. That's how I grow people on the team. It's good for them. It's good for me. Because then what that means is I can do other stuff, right? Like if I give up some of my responsibilities now because someone else is ready to take on over, then I have more time to take on more responsibilities. And that's why that's why I know it's a little bit scary for people making themselves obsolete, but have faith that it does work out for you too in, in the end, right? With that, delegation becomes super important. So I think about it in this way, and this is, I'm pretty sure it's an existing model because I've seen it in a couple of trainings and I've combined like two models together. So the idea is that you can look at a person and a task together, not, this is not just about a person and this is not just about a task, but let's put them together, right? So you take a person, you look at a task and you think, where are they on the range from highly skilled to not very skilled for this task? Because someone might be great at illustration, but not so great at information architecture, just as an example, right? And then where are they on high to low will? How much do they want to do this task? And then based on that, you see, okay, so let's just say I am doing something like, I'll use a very simple example, running a critique meeting for the team. If I want to give that on to someone else who I think should make a good manager, and that's a good practice for them just to like put that together, how, how are they on skill? Do they know how to do this? Have they ever done it? Do they want to do it, right? So I, it's almost like a quadrant that you can look at. Then you delegate accordingly. So there's like levels of delegation and I have used all of them based on the person and the task and the skill, right? So one level of delegation is you just do it. You don't even need to tell me what's going on. Just go ahead and do it, right? That's one. That's like if someone is high skill, high will, that's great. They can just do it. The other level becomes you do it, but keep me informed. You make the decisions, but you're just letting me know what's happening, right? So that's basically, okay, maybe they're like medium skill, but high will. So that's going to happen. Then another level is you handle most of it, but I'm going to be making the decisions. That's maybe they are lower, like much lower in skill, but they still have a high will. So I can... I can expect from them that they will do, go and talk to people, do a good job, but they just don't have the skill to make decisions right now. So they can come back to me for that. Then you start to get into the low will. Then let's just say you had to delegate something, but for some reason that person is not very excited to do it. That's when maybe you have to be a little bit more involved in the beginning. And then if it's still not a good match, then you maybe have to find another person for that task, right? So then it gets to the levels of delegation where you are still the person who's involved, going to meetings, driving the project, but you're delegating smaller tasks to someone else. So then that becomes, it's still delegation because I'm not doing it all myself, but it's delegation at the very, very far end from you just go do it, right? This becomes, no, I will do it with you and I will delegate smaller tasks within that larger project to you. So that's how I think about it. It's more like it's a framework and you tweak it based on the situation and the person and the task that's needed. Yeah, that makes sense. But considering that this is something that you have worked with quite some time and you would have tweaked it based on that, how would you approach it for somebody who is, uh, say, junior or fresher into the field? And, you know, when uh, I have seen this a lot, like when, when you have a fresher in the scenario, you'd be like, I will do this myself. I don't want to communicate these things. That tendency tends to come around, come over, right? So how do we actually maybe not do that? Maybe have a better way of approaching it? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I care very deeply about hiring people with no experience. And we've done it like, you know, I think three people on our team out of like the initial 14 came from uh, just fresh out of school or whatever. When you do that, you have to know why you're doing that, right? The answer isn't, oh, I just need someone to do like production design level work. The answer is that you want, again, it goes back to my original motivation behind being a designer, that you want to help someone grow. And you want to make sure that there is enough diversity on the team in terms of even experience, right? Like that's why I do it. So right now we just hired someone um, like who's very new and very in the beginning stages of their career as an interaction designer. 
um, because I just want someone with fresh ideas, someone who's not done this for a long time. At the same time, I have this understanding that this is going to be let's just be honest, it's going to take more time to get stuff done than it would otherwise. So you have to be aware of that. You have to accept it. But there's a pros and cons. Let's just say if I had hired someone who was more senior instead, there would be other problems. I would have too many people who are senior, too many people who are competing with each other. We don't have enough work. It's just I have to make sure that there is a good career trajectory for at least three years when I hire someone. Um, and a senior person would just not work right now because we have too many people who are, or we have just the right amount of people who are senior. Adding one more would just upset the balance a little bit, right? So I'm very aware that it's going to take time. I'm also very aware that there are pros of doing this, the taking time even, because it's an opportunity for the more senior people on my team to mentor someone. So it's like, it goes both ways, right? Like, yes, they are going to be spending their time mentoring but at the same time, they're going to get something out of this, which is they learn how to work with people. They learn how to like manage. They're not going to be managing, but you know, like how to allocate work, how to guide someone. And I have done that myself. So it's a mindset that leads have to be okay with. And it's okay that it takes someone seven days to get to a point where it would have taken you an hour. That's totally fine. You just have to accept it and be okay with it because what's going to happen is there will be many, many instances where they will get to the same answer in seven days that you would have in an hour. But eventually, as they learn more, they will take three days and come up with a better answer. Then they will take two days and come up with a better answer. It's just going to, the balance is going to swing eventually. However, every lead has to think long-term and not short short term. That's the most important skill, right? You have to think about what is this person adding to my team culture? What is this person adding to the team growth for everyone on the team? Where are they going to be in two to three years? And if you have to sacrifice a few hours and there is some slowness in the beginning, that's slowly, that's totally fine. What I have experienced though, is the, the most recent person I had last year who was fresh out of school the learning curve was actually pretty okay. Like in the beginning, yes, it took them some time, but it takes everyone time because I work in advertising and it's not familiar to anyone. Now they're running pretty autonomously and it's, you know, it's great returns, great solutions, better than I could have done myself. So it, it usually does work out in the end. It's just like temporary uh, patience that people have to practice. So you've hired uh, people who have no experience and that is something that you talked about, the temporary patience, right? During that time, how do you actually measure certain aspects? Like you would be looking for, is this person having a certain learnability or adaptability and all these aspects? And how long is the temporary patience is of course dependent on the project and the task and all of these things. Is Is there something that you can shed light on these aspects so we can learn more about these things? Yeah, sure. So because I work at Google, there is like a performance review system that we follow. And I can give you that answer very easily. It's basically we give it someone at least two years to say this is not working. Like really, that is the answer, right? Like that's how much you have. Like, of course, if things are going horribly wrong, that's completely different. Like, oh, this was just a bad hire. But in most cases, that's the amount of grace that you get to really like rise to the level or, you know, like do go above and beyond, which is a long time. And usually within that time, you have a really good idea of where someone is. I have not seen anyone take that long. It's usually been like two months or so. And then like they're pretty independent from there on. So what I have seen is that what you need to look out for is are people asking, is the person asking the right questions and are they trying? So that's usually very easy, or maybe it's because I have so much experience now, but it's easy for me to see that when I'm interviewing someone. Are they open? Are they learning? Are they taking feedback even during the interview? Are they curious about what I'm saying? Just how they approach things, it's super important. Are they someone who is humble and wants to learn and not just rest on their credentials and Maybe they did really well in school and, you know, like that just, you have to be open-minded about that stuff. That just doesn't work. So going back to your question, how much time do you give them or like, how does that work? 
it's not that even when I talk about the two years, it's not like, okay, two years, no progress. And then a flip or like a switch just flips, right? Like it doesn't usually happen like that. It's more about, am I seeing signs every day of the person just being just hungry, wanting to learn, asking a lot of good questions and making small amounts of progress day by day. As an example, so someone on my team who I hired last year and they're such a great designer. He's a great designer. When he came in first, he would ask very um, like simple questions like, you know, like what is, what's the meaning of this one concept that we work with as an example? And that's great, right? Like he's, he would ask me a lot of questions. Now he's still asking questions, but the questions have completely changed. So for example, a few months ago, he asked me, well, why don't we switch to Figma? Why are we still using Sketch or something like that, right? And that's awesome. Like that's a great thing to ask. And now he's slowly running this campaign of switching the team over to Figma slowly but surely. So he's still curious. He's still asking stuff. I shouldn't expect him to now go lead a strategic project all by himself because you have to set people up for success. But he's shown so much growth already that I have no doubt that he'll continue to grow. So I guess my final answer based on like, you know, exactly what you asked me is that have patience, have realistic expectations, but look out for small signs of growth day to day. That makes sense. So how do you manage this person and what are the initial processes that you set them up so that, you know, as you said, you set them up for success. So what, what are the initial things that you do for them? So it's super important that the person is partnered with someone who's more senior and can help them. In some cases, so back in the day, when I first started managing, there were two people on the team. The third person I hired was more junior than the others. I became that person for them. I was spending more time with them. I was just like, you know, looking at their mocks every day and ask, answering their questions, being in meetings with, with them when needed. I don't have the time to do that anymore. So I make sure that they are partnered with a more senior designer on my team who can be that person for them. Because again, it's a great opportunity for them too, to mentor someone. So that would be the most important thing that you just don't leave them um, alone. You have someone who's a mentor and not just in this case of, Oh, meet with your mentor once a week. Not that. It's like pretty much constant partnership. The person is there to be with you when needed. You can go to them three times, four times a day and ask them questions. They will go to meetings with you, like I already said, or they will review your designs as much as needed because we want to make sure that we don't let the person go too far before realizing that they're failing at, at a task, right? It's kind of like, I, I don't remember who used this analogy, but I really like it. It's like, you know, when you first learn to ride a bike and first, like, let's say if your mom is teaching you, she'll be holding on to the bike as you ride it. Right. And then eventually it's like, okay, she will take your, her hands just outside. So she's not, she's not holding on anymore, but it's like an inch away from the bike to hold on to the bike as soon as it starts to lose balance. And then slowly it's like, okay, your hands or her hands are going like maybe a foot away, then two feet away. Then she's just like, sometimes she's just running behind you to make sure but that's okay. And then eventually she's just standing there and you're just riding the bike and she's not even running behind you. So I really think it's that approach with a new person. You have to have to start with just holding on to the bike and then slowly sensing how well they're doing and then slowly like moving your hands an inch away. If you don't have that person on the team, that's not a great setup to hire a young or an inexperienced designer. You have to have someone who can be the person holding on to the bike. If you are not that person, someone else, someone more senior on the team. Because we also have other processes for onboarding, like you know, making sure they have the right tool set up, partnering them up with different people to learn about the business. But the bottom line is they have to have that guidance so they don't fall uh, right away. It's also not great for their confidence. And then eventually you decrease the amount of guidance. Actually, that's a great analogy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did not come up with that. But I don't remember who told me. Yes. <laughs> this actually leads to my question. Like, um, So this was a very interesting uh, conversation that we had as a team eternally. And I'm noticing a lot of behavioral changes that I have to make myself when, you know, that process starts. And I want to hear your perspective on what are some of the behavioral changes you need to make for yourself and set yourself for your success, not just your team's success in the early days. Uh, behavioral changes when you start managing? 
yeah when when you start managing even if you're trying to work with somebody or collaborate with somebody and you're mm-hmm. trying to like create that environment for collaboration so when you are working with someone else when especially and it's slightly different when you are the position or when you're the person who's in position of power right it's very different than just collaborating with someone who you might be equals and this is not to say that not everyone is an equal but i think it's good for everyone to recognize that position of power especially for the one who is in the position of power because if you don't it's just not fair to the other person right so it's first the first thing is that recognizing that there might be a power imbalance which if you are responsible for someone's salary how much how someone's performance review setting someone up like that's just the truth you you're not going to be friends with them and i'm very friendly with my whole team it's i'm not saying that you shouldn't be friendly but you cannot truly be friends where there is that power imbalance right so being very aware of that and knowing that even with that it is your job to invest in their growth as much as possible now here's the difference when you're managing versus when you're collaborating on a project it becomes slightly different because the goals are very different um as an example if there is just someone who's a designer on my team and they have to collaborate with someone their first goal is success of the project right like they want the project to succeed if i'm a manager and i'm collaborating with someone while my goal is success of the project obviously like that's my primary goal that's what i'm paid to do right to make sure that our projects are successful the goal of making that person grow is also pretty high up there which wouldn't be if you were just collaborating with someone so that's why the answers would be slightly different for the two situations but i would say the biggest thing you do is find out what are the strengths of the other person make sure the work distributed is equitable um instead of equal right so as an example if someone is great at one thing but needs to grow in another thing you give them maybe fair amounts of both kinds of work instead of being like wow well, i'm going to do 50% of this and you do 50% of this no 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 let's make sure that this actually works for the project their skills where they need to grow how much bandwidth they have and all of that so just being equitable in how work is distributed then when it comes to decision making it's super important to know what the context is if you are in a position of power you are the decision maker you should be listening to everyone who's working on the project but in very many cases it's not a democracy you you just have more context than other people do right listen to everyone make a decision and then explain why you made that decision however if you're just collaborating with someone then you're probably not the decision maker there is someone else who's the decision maker if you're the more senior designer you have to make sure that you're presenting a very fair and balanced point of view to the decision maker and not just overruling the more junior designer because you're the more senior person making sure everyone is being heard and everyone is fairly represented and every idea has a good chance to to grow it's also really important and this is important for any designer anyway but especially when you collaborate you have to be completely okay with killing your ideas and not seeing them through because that's usually how the best design happens and hey you came up with an idea you thought it was great two months down the line it's just not working someone else has a better idea that's fine just let's get behind that so really working as a unit uh, versus just working individually that answer a part of it so i want to go with the decision making side of things and what are the behavior changes that i should make so that i can set other people for success allow myself to be successful in that process yeah i think that's a great great question so I have written uh, I wrote a doc for new managers on my team because about 2 years ago I converted two people on my team to managers first time managers and I have very clear and strong opinions about like what are the changes you want to make the first one is that you have to and I've said this already so I'm going to be repeating myself but you have to care about people you just have to if you don't that is not a good fit for being a manager on my team and i'll give you an example we do performance reviews at uh, google like many other companies do but our performance reviews are so much work for a manager just so much work like hours and hours and hours of work because we want it to be a fair and equitable process and that's just something that we've landed on right now 
I have seen some managers, I can see that they did not put a lot of work in writing the performance reviews. That's just not okay. You have to care about the people. This is your job now. And you have to put in work into actively developing people. If I ask anyone at any manager at any time, how's this person doing? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What is the growth path for them? You have to have that answer. So that's a mindset change, right? Because now you are, it's still designing. I actually think this is why designers are good at managing. You're designing someone's career path. You're not designing like a solution to the product. So that's a big mindset change. That now you become everyone who turns into manager becomes a systems designer almost because you're thinking about how do I allocate projects? How do the pieces fit together? What are everyone's strengths? It's just like a whole bunch of designing, team design, org design um, that you don't have to do as like an IC designer. So that's the biggest mindset change. The second one is you have to acknowledge the power imbalance. And why that's important is Maybe you were peers with someone and used to crack jokes at their expense. It was okay earlier. It's not okay anymore because they cannot crack a joke back at your expense because now you pay them, right? So are you responsible for their pay? It is just absolutely important that you realize the power imbalance and act accordingly. So again, and a lot of people take offense to this because it feels to them that I'm saying, oh, you should make sure that you're powerful. It's not about that. Act how you act. Just know that you cannot be a dick to them. If, if you were being, can I say that? I don't know. Like you know, stop being a dick to people if you were doing that earlier. For Even as a joke, even with your friends, if you are their boss now, it's very, very different. It's not the same. So that's uh, the other one. The third one is that you have to change your mindset from just doing things yourself. And this is what we were talking about earlier to letting other people do it. There are different modes that a manager is in. Sometimes you're a coach and what a coach does is a coach never provides solutions. A coach just helps someone figure something out. Sometimes you're in coach mode. Sometimes you're in mentor mode. Mentor mode is yes, you will give people solutions and you have to change your approach according to the situation and why the person is coming to you. There's a third more where it's just more, you are just observing. You sometimes have to let things happen because you might see that someone is on the wrong path. If you tell them now that, hey, this should be the solution, they're never going to learn. You have to let it happen. Just let it play out and they'll get to the solution in seven days or something, like I said. So it's a little bit about just self-restraint and letting people do things their way instead of forcing your style on them. So that's super important too. That's a mindset change. There's another one about time management. A lot of managers end up doing a lot of meetings and a lot of managers don't like that. However, I have one, just come to terms with it. Second, I realized that at my at this point, a lot of my work is convincing people and it's just best done by talking to people. But at the same time, you have to make sure that you are you are prioritizing things that are very important, but not urgent. Uh, and this, a lot of managers fall into this pitfall of only prioritizing urgent things, right? But any strategic project, anything like doing a reorg of the team to better align resources or a strategic project that should happen in three years, none of this is ever urgent. But as managers, we have to prioritize non-urgent yet important tasks because that is the best way to do any sort of strategy, right? Because most strategic stuff isn't urgent. Otherwise, it would just be tactical stuff. And we would be doing it right now. So that's the other mindset change. There's like some other stuff too that I think about. Just being more aware of the things around you. Because now you are responsible for the health and growth of your team. So if you're in a bigger company, are there other cool things that another team is doing that you could learn from? And yes, you could always do this, but then as a manager, it becomes even more important because now you're responsible for that. So those are the key things that I can think of in terms of a mindset change. So to summarize, always prioritize your team's growth and mm -hmm. lay out a path of uh, growth for them and understand how the power shift happens even when you go to other roles and making sure that you know they are comfortable, but at the same time, giving them the right feedback and understanding what mode you need to take on at what path. What are your thoughts on attrition in design? So I have been very, very fortunate. I, in my team, and I've been managing this team for about 
uh, six years now, something like that, I have had three people leave. So <laughs> it's actually, our attrition is awesome. <laughs> like it's not that bad. And all the, out of those three people, one of them started his own company and got VC funding and everything, like, which is awesome. I'm so, so happy for him. The other one wanted to move to another city. And then the third was just like not a mutual fit for the team, which is just amazing numbers, right? So my thoughts are, most people want to stay in a place where they are adding value, where their purpose is being met, and they're growing how they want to grow. It's also very, very tricky in the ad tech space, because that's where I work. You cannot really have deep impact unless you understand things really well. And that just takes time. It takes at least six months to get a good sense of what's going on around you to have strategic impact, right? So... That's why also I think people end up sticking around because just the more you stay, the more impact you can have because you understand the technical details and the business details a lot better. But my, my point of view is that it's usually better for the individual designers to stick around in one place so that they can learn and they can have better impact. And to make this happen, the managers have to make sure that they understand what drives the designer, what is their purpose, how can you help them fulfill that purpose and making sure that there is a growth path for them proactively that you are, like I always like to say, so our performance management system, it's just the shorthand is perf. And I always say that as a manager, you have to be obsessed about people's perf so that they are not obsessed about it. So you better be obsessively planning how you're going to make them grow. What are they good at? What are they not good at? How are you going to teach them? Because if you are not doing it, then the person has to do it themselves and they're likely going to leave because they're not getting what, what they should be getting out of you. So that's like truly, like, again, I know it's not like really answering your question, but also I don't have the experience of like large attrition on my team. Most people who've been here stick around. There's the people, the, the people on the team who have been managing for like five years now, six years for someone, four years, just everyone on the team has been around for a really long time, which helps a lot with overall team stability as well. They're also like really, really great people, honestly, because I spend a lot of time in hiring and I hire awesome people. So I do whatever I can to keep them and make sure that they're happy and growing as they should be. Awesome. So that's one of the rare cases because uh, <laughs> I do hear a lot about attrition. So I'm like, oh, it's nice to hear about, you know, very less number of cases. And that too, it's not... For the usual reasons as people talk about but i i understand where you're coming from so that actually reminds me of a very interesting question as you said right um, people stick around because they want to they they feel that their purpose is being met or certain aspects of what their growth looks like is being met so the term average span of a designer in the industry how does actually how how does it actually play out in a big company like Google. I don't know if you would like to answer it for smaller companies like startups, if you have experience in those areas as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I do realize that a lot of this is just privilege because being a part of Google, at least Google takes care of practical things like you know resources and salaries and all of that, right? So for someone to leave Google, they would have to, it would have to be equal or similar pay, or maybe like I said, someone else started their own business or something like that. Right. So that helps a lot. Right? <laughs> like I don't have to worry about that aspect. Then our attrition mostly that happens within Google is when people move to different teams within Google, because we do encourage mobility within Google. If something is not working out, you should absolutely go work on another product because it's, pretty cool that you have the opportunity to work on something like ads and then you can work on something like Google Maps if you want to or move to travel or move to, you know, cloud, move to like whatever, you, whatever you want to do, there's some team at Google that does that. So there are a lot of opportunities there. Um, so at a company like Google, I think average span is pretty high because of that, because people move teams. Within teams, the average span is about, I would say, our team is different because, you know, it's a pretty, it's an anomaly. A lot of people have just stuck around. Uh, on some other teams, I've seen it to be about two to three years because what people do is like once they get promoted, it's possible that they see maybe that's where the growth path ends or maybe they see it as an opportunity to do, oh, now I can go do something else. 
I just got promoted. Now it's like a fresh start. Let's do something else. So they go do that then. And when I say promoted, it's different at Google. So it's not, people don't get promoted into positions. Uh, they get promoted just in terms of like the new level. So um, they've already been doing that job for a while before they get promoted. So that's why they might switch to another team now. Um, average span of a designer otherwise. Within the startup world, it was, or it wasn't even a startup. I used to work in a small design firm. It was very, it's much shorter, obviously, because people move around a lot and then things change very fast for smaller places too. You might think you join a company and then it, you realize it's actually another company once you get in there. It's very different from how it was advertised or how you believed it to be. So it becomes a lot, lot shorter. So I've seen, I would say when I used to work at a design firm, it was something like maybe one year, like around one year, which is not good for anyone. So I would say that like my point of view on this is that it depends on what someone's goals are. If someone is a beginning designer who just wants to have a lot of variety in their portfolio, wants to try a lot of stuff to see what sticks and what works for them, they should absolutely switch positions like every two years or so. Any less than that is not great for anyone. Because again, they probably moved before they could have impact. And second, it's not great for the person who onboarded you and hired you and made things happen. Now, of course, barring extreme situations, if someone is abusive, it's not the right uh, place for you. If someone lied when they hired you, then it's different. Then yes, get out of there as soon as you can. But overall, my general advice for people is to stick around for at least two years before they make a switch. That makes sense, yeah. Because the reason why I asked about average span, at least in India, I see that it's around 18 to 24 months and not more than that. Actually, 18 months has come like, okay, that's the max I'm going to stick around. It's become that way. And that's a question for a lot of hiring managers because they would probably have a growth plan. They would probably have invested a lot of time into this person. And by the time this investment is done, this person is ready to leave. While it is human to feel bad about it and you know, say that, okay, I've invested and nothing worked out or, you know, it didn't move forward. How does one deal with such situations? Yeah, that's a great question. My philosophy is that it's just like any relationship. If someone wants to leave you, they want to leave you. You should just like, you know, give them your best. And what I tried to do, so the one situation where someone, like obviously the person who had their own startup, I didn't do much there. They just did all of the work. I didn't do anything there. They did everything and they let me know. And I was like, this is great. I was very happy for him. But the other person who wanted to move to the Bay Area from LA, my point of view was, I hate to see you go because you are an amazing designer. But at the same time, because I care about you personally, it goes back to the first thing I said, right? Like you have to care about people's growth. And if truly this is better for them or they believe it's better for them, well, then you care about, you should care about just being okay with the fact that they're leaving, right? Now, I know that I'm in a privileged position to say this because it doesn't happen a lot to me. So I can obviously say, oh, if someone wants to go, you should just let them go and help them go and find them a better position, give them a good reference, do all of that. If it's happening a lot, I would examine if there are structural things that need to be changed there. Like never take it out on the person. Like that's just never an option, especially if it's happening all the time, then it's clearly not the designers. Then it's clearly something else that's going on. Um, maybe it's just the culture of design in, in that location. Like it might be that, like there's something that a lot of design leads need to come together and address that, that listen, this is harming all of us. How do we make, how do we stop this from happening? especially if it's happening all the time, then it's not about the people, right? Maybe it's the company itself. Maybe it's not understanding the people. Like there are structural issues at play that need to be changed if that is happening. But as a manager, there's not much you can do. You kind of have to, let, not, not that like obviously you cannot do anything about it, but at the same time, I think you have to give people your blessings essentially and let them go because it's too late at that point to change anything. Like it's more about, okay, what do I do now to make sure this doesn't happen with another person six months from now? That makes sense. So this is something that keeps coming again and again in a lot of conversation related to management. But for a design manager, what should they be known for? Should they be known for managing designers, managing project expectations, or being the lead creative force on the project, managing stake stakeholders, or is there something else that we should be aware of? 
Such a good question. And I feel like this is where I have very high standards for myself and also for everyone on the team who is a manager on, or managers on my team. Um, it's probably not good news to say this, but it's everything, right? Like everything. And then you can be better at some things than others. So a structure again, uh, listen, I don't come up with anything. I just hear really good stuff and I'm like, this is great. I'm just gonna adopt this as my Bible from going uh, going forward. So one of the structures that a uh, uh, UX director at Google once told me that I've adapted a little bit to my situation is that there are four key areas of management that every manager has to care about. So the first one is product strategy. The second one is execution. The third one is cultural. And the fourth one is operational. So as a manager, you have to care about all of these. Product strategy for the product. Execution, what's happening right now? How are people doing? What is the speed of execution? Look at the projects, review projects, approve projects. Third one is uh, like cultural. So how's the team doing? How's the team feeling? Are people bonding together? Are there healthy debates? Two tactical things like, oh, I have to organize an offsite for something, right? Like something like that. Two operational. And operational is more about program management, allocations, load balancing, just making sure that the projects are happening at the same time. So a lead is really responsible for all four of these. Something like managing stakeholders is a little bit cultural, a little bit execution, maybe even product strategy based on like which lens you're using. Then what every lead needs to really admit and realize is what are they good at and what are they not so good at where they need help, right? So for example, I am not so good at the operational stuff. So I work with a um, program manager who is on our team and he's amazing at that. That's what he does. And I partner with him on making sure that our processes are running as they should. I am really good and intuitive about the cultural aspect just because I can sense when things are not going okay and I can write the ship easily. So I spend more time doing that. Similarly, in product strategy, there are some things that I'm good at, some things that I'm not good at. And I have someone, another manager on my team who's really, really good at that stuff. And she takes on a lot of that work from me. And I do more of the, well, I will manage the stakeholders. Yes, I will give my opinions, but yes, you drive the project, right? So it's... All of these things are important. Someone needs to do it. It doesn't have to be you. You have to look at the structure, think about what are you good at and the things that you're not good at, you have to hire people to do that on the team so that the team holistically is moving forward. Because also as a manager, you have to find time to do the stuff that you like to do. So if there are some stuff that I don't like to do, well, shit, it's still important. So I'll do a little bit of it and then I hire someone else who likes to do that to do most of it. So really, like I said, the answer is all of the above, but there is a system that I follow so that it's not literally want to do anything and everything that you can. Say you are in a position where you currently you lead a larger team and mm -hmm. how did you manage it for a small team? And when you scaled it up to a much bigger team, how did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So... I would love to say it was planned, but it really wasn't, right? So, because there's only so much you can plan and, and think forward. So, for example, when the team was about four people, it was very organic. Things, we did not have that much process. It was more like we would just talk to each other and, you know, that's how I knew what everyone was working on. And it was like super easy going and easy to do. And it wasn't like, I wasn't like planning to expand the team to 15 people or 20 people in one day. It's more about the project needs expanded. And that's how we responded uh, to make sure that there's enough resources to do what we need to do. But one thing that has served me really well is just being open to experimentation and really adventure. Like that's really how I approach management. And that's what I've trained the team to do also. And, you know, like I hire people who are who are happy to do that and want to do that. And when I say experiment and adventure, it's more about let's not be complacent in anything, any processes, any structure that we follow right now, especially a place like Google where things change a lot, like organizations change. And I think everyone is in a place now where things change a lot, honestly, because the market evolves so fast in tech, things are constantly changing. All of us have to be okay with change. So making sure that you're open to change. So what that means is when we hire two more people and now we are six people, we were still doing initially what we were doing earlier, 
But before it even got to a point where it bad, I took time to think, okay, what do we need to experiment with next? What do we need to change? So proactively changing things before you realize that you need to change things and experimenting. And an experiment, the whole point behind an experiment is some stuff just doesn't work. Be okay to discard that and move on. And then also be okay to come back to that when your team is 12 people instead of six, because maybe it was a horrible idea with six people, but works really well with 12 people. And I can give an example of that. So with six people, we tried to do, like we divided the six people into groups of like three and three, and they were like doing almost like two parts and it just didn't work well. There was no need to do it. Now it was like information was fragmented, but with like 20 people, we have three parts now because there's no way these 20 people can always be aware of what each of them is working on, right? Like, yes, we do have forums where everyone comes together and shares work too, once every two weeks, but the pods are very aware of each other's work and they meet like at least once a week, if not twice a week and give each other advice and like just talk to each other. So the biggest thing is being okay to experiment and proactively, again, like proactively thinking about it. So on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, annual basis, there are different things that I check in on. So every, on an annual basis, I think about, okay, what are the big processes that we follow right now? What do we need to change? Because the team has likely evolved from the last year to now. How do we do project allocations? What do we need to try here? On a quarterly basis, I think about what are the meetings that all of us do, and then like redoing the meetings or changing some of them, whatever, deleting some of them. On a more weekly basis, it's more about what are the interpersonal people things that we could change. So like it really matters, but the whole point is don't wait for the team to scale and then changing something. Just keep thinking about it organically. So it's an ongoing process so that your systems and operational things and meetings, all of that grows up with the team. And it's almost like a living organism that evolves as the team grows. I mean, honestly, for me, that is the most exciting part of design management. It's not just about managing people, right? A lot of people think it's about, oh, you tell people what to do now and you approve their designs and all that. Like that's the least amount of where my time goes because first of all, we've hired amazing designers. Why would I now tell them what to do when I usually try to hire people who are much better designers than me? They have a really good design sense. They're doing a great job. It's fine. It's more about these other things that is so, it just pays so many like dividends as the more time you invest in the stuff. And it's really exciting. Like I said, for a designer, all of this stuff should be really exciting. Yeah, that makes sense. My mind is buzzing with just one question. How yes. do you manage to get in so many perspectives and different people with different backgrounds in and ensure that the team is still balanced with these things. Essentially, it's about your hiring, right? So how yeah. do you manage to do that? Yeah, I've been very fortunate. I mean, you know, nothing is ever perfect. Like, obviously, we don't have like, you know, all, all different aspects represented. But my team, for the most part, is pretty diverse. And, you know, we have like, if you look at us, where we come from and, you know, what are our backgrounds? How much experience do we have? People who have kids, people who don't have kids, people who are single, people who might be married, like different sexual orientations, race, like all of those things. We are pretty lucky so far. And the interesting thing is I have never thought about, oh, we need to hire. Oh, we don't have a response. I've never thought about it like that, right? It's more, it's always been about let's hire the best person for the job, but then making sure that everyone has equal opportunity when you're looking at the pool of candidates. That's been super important to me. So what I have done is that I have do a lot of outreach and I, I expand my network. So I know people from different, just different areas in, of life, right? But then what I make sure is that when I'm hiring, I don't do like a personality fit or a culture fit or any of those. It's more about, is it, is it a good fit in terms of values? And it's, it's not fuzzy I have very concrete values like very well-defined values on the team uh, and I can just tell you those right now one is people first so it has to be someone who can put their ego aside and really care about everyone and care about other people right and this is I spell it out when I do interviews like you have to be okay with stuff like this with examples the second value is really caring about our craft so you have to just deeply care about what like it has to be well -crafted. 
crafted your work in every aspect, right? And that's something that, that there are some designers, especially because we hired like interaction designers. So they're like, you know, UX designers, not UI designers, but it's not about everything has to be pretty, but you have to care about what you're putting together. It has to be well thought out, well considered. And that I can usually tell very easily from someone's portfolio, just how much effort, time, attention to detail there is in their portfolio. Just in the portfolio being put together, not even the projects in the portfolio. The third one is just thinking about the product team first. So we think about our cross-functional partners before we think about the UX team. We are very, very well integrated with the product managers, engineers, and we don't have a UX first mentality. We don't go off in a corner and come up with the UX vision that the UXers put together. We never do something like that. It's all about working with everyone else. And this isn't something that everyone agrees with. And I know plenty of people have UX vision projects in their portfolio, which is great. I don't disqualify someone because of that, but I want to make sure that I tell them that this is not how we operate on this team. So you have to be okay with that, but not getting that glory of, oh, I came up with this UX vision, right? So as long as someone meets these three values, we do hire them. And so far it has worked really well because these values have don't have much to do with your background. Anyone coming from any background can have these values. And then beyond that, it doesn't matter. Like we have like introverts on the team, extroverts, people who like to go out, people who don't like, people who are outspoken, people who are just everything else is totally fine. And that's how you build diversity by being okay with, you know, if someone doesn't want to go out for a beer, that's totally fine. We don't have to hire for who's going to be like a fit at happy hour or something. It's more about these other three values that are very independent of someone's personality that we care more about. Yeah, that makes sense. As a closing question, I would like mm-hmm. to know your thoughts on how relevant is the design manager role and title in today's times and your thoughts on its future. Yeah, absolutely. So I think management is always going to be super relevant if you think about it the way I talked about earlier, that people, almost everyone, needs someone who is looking after their career and their growth. Otherwise, they have to do it themselves. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about your career. Obviously, everyone should care about their own career. But someone who has a little bit more influence needs to make sure they're getting the opportunities that they should be getting. They have the the growth path that they deserve uh, that and that they need. Someone is giving them the feedback that they need because that's super important to grow as well. And really just, it's you know, about like unblocking their path and creating a path in front of them as they grow. In that role, it's super relevant and always is gonna be relevant for people to have a design manager. Now, of course, there are other aspects like the creative director aspect, which since you might have noticed, I've not talked a lot about that because I don't think that is a design manager's job anyway. Like I do very little of that at this point because I, like I said, I've hired very, very competent designers and they're very capable of doing that themselves. Um, And for the more junior members on the team, I have senior members on the team who help them do that at this point. That part gets taken care of. But as a design manager, you are the person who's creating that path for others and unblocking their path. And not just unblocking, though, you're actually actively building that path as they grow. And that's always going to be relevant because without that, people have to kind of figure it out themselves. And it's a catch-22, right? Like if you don't have enough influence, then how are you going to get there? So with a manager, you might not have enough influence, but hopefully they have enough influence that they can help you get there. And then it just like keeps escalating from there. All right. That actually makes a lot of sense. So it's influence and making sure that, you know, the growth path is all taken care of. And obviously the base and the through line of the whole thing that I see is care about the other person's growth. And then only you will be able to grow as a manager. It's actually pretty uh, fascinating how your growth happens automatically when you help other people grow, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is not even me being like touchy-feely. Like I'm saying this very literally, like literally you will grow and you will flourish if you are helping your team grow. It's pretty amazing that it works out that way. And I'm so glad that it works out that way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super glad to hear that. 
Thank you yeah. so much for sharing your perspective. This was indeed a very excellent understanding of a design manager position and at at a large scale level like from a company like Google and YouTube. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was so fun.